It's the How Games Make Money podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Grubb from GamesBeat.com. This is the show where I talk to people working in and around games and ask them how this whole business works, how do they make money, what is their job like every single day. New episodes should come out every Monday now. That's that's the new plan. We're going we're gonna to make this one work. I'm also back from vacation, so we missed a couple of weeks. Uh, but yeah, it was a good vacation. Thank you for asking. Uh, let's go ahead and get on uh, with this episode in which I talked to Stephanie Tinsley. Uh, she joins me to talk about running public relations for a number of video game developers and publishers. Stephanie has her own shop where she provides a much needed connection between the people who make games and the media, as well as consumers. During our conversation, Stephanie and I talk about what it's like to miss E3. Um, She also talks about uh, teaching developers how to avoid making big mistakes, as well as the similarities she sees in herself as a mom and a PR person. First, though, thank you for listening. You can get more from me at gamesbeat.com. Email me about the podcast at jeff.grub at gmail.com with the subject line, How Games Make Money, or reach out on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Grubb. The podcast is at HGMM Show. And with that all out of the way, let's go ahead and start the interview with Stephanie Tensley. Okay, let's get right into it. Joining me now is Stephanie Tensley. Go ahead and say hi to everybody. Hey, yo. We're going to talk about... Gaming PR, because that's that's your whole shtick, right? That if are you a PR person? Is that how I should refer to you? I I mean, yeah, I guess it's. I have been doing this for four hundred and eleven years, and <laughs> at this point, it is it is like if I ever wanted to switch careers, I'm oh. I'm screwed. Uh, yeah, this is no. all I know how to do. Yeah, oh, no, yeah this is the, all I've ever done. Yeah, ship has left the harbor. It would be <laughs> madness for uh, yeah. either of us to change directions now. Uh, you yeah. just got to see this through, right? Yeah. And it's, you know, it's never going to be a category on Jeopardy. Like all of the crazy <laughs> information I have in my brain, it's never going to be a category on Jeopardy. So like, I'm just, yeah, it's me. You can call me a PR person. I don't like publicist though. And I think that that's why I, that's because I spent so much time in um, Los Angeles mm-hmm. and I sort of dallied in entertainment PR, entertainment publicity for about five seconds before I was so grossed out that I was, you know, I ran screaming from that industry, but publicist to me, it just strikes me as it's like, a, has a negative connotation. Like, I don't know, like lawyer. Um, yeah. And it's but, Cause yeah. you're like, you're like there, you're, you feel like you're trying to actively shape a narrative that is, I guess, potentially toxic. And you're trying to keep that from people. I, I guess, I don't know. I, I've never I, really thought about I it much. Know. I don't know. Just I, the the publicity for a person is, and and that whole well, the whole industry really, the whole entertainment industry, the TV, film, sort of music industry is just it's just filled with gross people, and it's a little bit um, less structured than say working with uh, a really great indie publisher who has a slew of great games coming up, and and they just need some help getting attention, and and really working with them to to sort of not teach them, but, but work alongside them and, and help them um, create their narrative and find their voice mm-hmm. and, and get out there effectively so that fans can find out about their great games. That's a much different scenario than, um, you know, some sort of weird DUI cover up for, you know, a coked out Lindsay Lohan or something like that. Right. I don't know. That- I just, to me, there's just, to me, there's always been a, a big difference between those two words. And I think, I think I might be the only one that thinks <laughs> that. But I mean, I, you know, YOLO. 
Well, I think that, I mean, when we, uh, I think uh, when people uh, on my side of stuff writing about video games, uh, you know, think about you or, or someone in your position, I think we're, we're thinking PR person. We're thinking this is someone who's, yeah. who is trying to uh, do public relations f- for a video game. So, you know, let's get into that. I mean, um, I think maybe just kind of, let's give an overview. What is your job like? What is it like being a PR person for video games? It's just fun and games all the time, Jeff. It's just <laughs> constant. It's just constant awesomeness. Mm-hmm. No, it's really hard. It's really hard. Communi- at the base of what a good communications person or agency does is, is I mean, that's it's, it's, it's communication. And if, if, if you've ever tried to date anyone ever or have a relationship with another human being, you know how hard communication can be. Now times that by 4 million because you're doing it to uh, a variety of audiences with uh, an, an infinite amount of, of receivers to, to the message that you're trying to put out. And that's when concise, clear, consistent communication um, done well can, can really be to your, to your benefit and, and also just, just so easy to screw up. And, and you see it, you see it all the time, especially in the games industry where someone says something they're not supposed to, or post something that is sort of misconstrued. And, and, and it is a, it is a very dog pile friendly, uh, industry. Um, so you're the, the minds in the field are, are many and having a, a good experienced communications agency is, um, is, is always going to be a good idea, no matter if you're your big AAA studio or uh, an indie just, just trying to find your feet. Yeah, I mean, when you say it's hard, like immediately my mind goes to like, yeah, because you're, you're dealing with you're dealing with developers, you're dealing with the people making the games. And, and, and I'm sure this is a the, the, that ranges in size in, in terms of teams, like the yes. teams could be a few people, it could be 50 people. Uh, and, you, you know, you might be getting a lot of different signals uh, f- f- from those people. Then on the other side, you have to deal with media and that's got to be like herding cats. So it's just difficult <laughs> in every direction, right? <laughs> like herding wet cats. It's, <laughs> well, we're in, we're in a very good position at, at where, where I work, where I'm from, um, in that we, we work with really great people, uh, big and small. And we have, we've been doing this, like I said, I've been doing this for 411 years, but we have the opportunity to kind of pick and choose the projects that we work on. And we're very small by design with three people with a contractor here or there, if we have a, a busy time coming up. Um, but I've been doing this for 15 plus years and I'm, I've kept the agency agency. I'm using my air quotes. You can't see me. I'm using my air quotes. Um, the agency small for a reason. I I'm hands-on with everything we do top to bottom from business strategy, consulting all the way down to, you know, coverage reports. Like who said, what about your game today? Um, and that's by design. I, I, I've, I've worked with um, bigger agencies. I've worked on bigger projects and I've worked for big AAA, uh, public facing companies and the, the regimented mentality and the sort of cog in the machine just very, which wasn't appealing to me. And, and, and when I mean like big AAA companies, like I was on, uh, a team of 150, um, with Microsoft game studios a million and a half years ago, um, launching the Xbox 360. I don't know if you've heard of it. It it was a game console that did really well back in the day. Um, But we, so we're kind of in a position at Tinsley, like we're, we're in a position that I consider us 
more of a a bridge between our clients and the and the projects that we work on and the, the press and vice versa. Um, it's it's not always an open bridge necessarily um, because you do have to have any element of communication at the corporate level will be strategic, well thought out, planned, and all with the intention of telling the world about the good things that your clients are doing. I mean, at the base of what we want to do is get information out there. These these folks that we work with, um, like the Devolver Digitals or the Dear Villagers um, or the you know the the indie development studio like Sabotage, um, they're they're not doing big shareholder PR campaigns where you can't say anything really. Mm-hmm. Um, what they want to do more than anything is just communicate to the public and the press about these great games that, that they're working on. And that is a much more relaxed environment. It's a much more fun environment. And it's an environment where we can be super effective because we can come in and say, hey, this is what's going to work really well for that game. This is what's going to work really well for this new hire or this situation or the studio opening or whatever it is that we're talking about for our clients. Um, and we and we have a very deep understanding of the media landscape in games and vice versa. If the media have a story, um, they'll come to us oftentimes and say, hey, do you have anyone that can talk to us about the story I'm writing, X, Y, Z? And chances are we'll we'll hook them up right away with someone who is going to be knowledgeable and informative for their readers. So we kind of understand where they're coming from. We understand where our, our clients are coming from and we kind of understand what everybody needs. And so we're more like a conduit to yeah. communication rather than what a lot of people consider games PR people to be like gatekeepers. Um, there is an element of gatekeeping Obviously, we, we don't want negative things written about, <laughs> written about <laughs> our clients, but um, we've put ourselves in a position where I think it's unique in that we're just, we're not playing a lot of, you know, du- we're not doing a lot of duck and cover PR versus just very openly communicating about a lot of really cool stuff. So I'm lucky in that sense um, that, that, I, that I can choose um, to, to work with people like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, ideally this is a situation where you are, um, you're working with a company that's trying to sell a product to an audience that wants those kinds of products. So it's like, you could see how everything could be, uh, really hunky dory if if everything works out exactly how you hope. (laughs) Yeah. But it never does though. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's so many other me's out there Mm -hmm. trying to do what I'm doing and to, to, to stand out and be unique and rise above it and, and be heard is the biggest challenge I think we have in games today. But that said, there's more platforms, there's more opportunities, there's more channels for good communication. You have you have every avenue you could possibly think of of social media. You have uh, direct to cons- more ways to reach the consumer direct every day. Um, there's there's another first party platform popping up. I feel like you know every few months there's some new store, there's some new platform, there's some you know, new program from Microsoft or Sony. Um, so working with your partners, working with the public directly, yes, it's a busier time than ever in the industry and it is very competitive. But but again, having having good experienced PR people on your team can help you navigate the the 
the most effective and and the most ways to to reach to reach your desired target audience. Because the whole point of this is to sell video games. So I, yeah, so I think when you are trying to sell video games, I think from my perspective, it's very easy to think that your job involves warning developers about all of the horror stories and how everything can, can go wrong. But it's probably, that's probably like a pretty small part of it, right? Infinite things can go wrong in the course <laughs> of a PR campaign, Jeff. Infinite. Um, it, part of, so I've I've always been a, a fan of the motto, uh, prepare for the worst and hope for the best. Yeah. And, and I think that, um, again, going back to, to having a really good PR partner on your team, um, my, my job, a lot of my job and daily consulting consists of sitting down with our clients and looking at the, the variety of projects that we're working on with them. Maybe it's just one project, maybe it's just one game, but, but oftentimes we represent a whole, whole ass publishers who have a ton of stuff going on, whether or not it's a bunch of games that are coming out or a more sort of business focused um, communications plan or rollout. Say they're opening a, a couple new studios and they're hiring a couple new director or C-levels um, and they want to tell the world about that. Um, there's a, a variety of reasons why you want to communicate about every single good thing that your company does um, strategically, of course. Um, but a lot of it is looking at the the landscape of the industry and, and where you are that day, where you're going to be three months from now, nine months from now, a year and a half from now, looking at, you know, looking after the very long picture five, even five years from now, like, are you, you know, are we rolling out this PR campaign campaign and communication strategy with acquisition in mind? Are we rolling out this, this campaign for uh, additional VC funding? Um, is this a, just a series of game launches? Um, it, it, so there's just so many things that go into a holistic approach to communication that, Anywhere along the way, uh, a wrench could just fly right in to, uh, to things and really derail something. Um, and when you look at, you know, great PR disasters of the games industry, <laughs> um, I'm usually, uh, you know, something I had a hand in is usually on one of those lists. Um, I don't want to say like, you know, brass knuckles or anything like that, but, mm -hmm. um, but uh, it, it really just, I mean, anything could go wrong. You know, there's just so many there's so many touch points and so many communication touch points that, and, and we do live in a canceled culture. We live in a, in a culture of uh, an online world. That's just never going to be a hundred percent satisfied with what you do, no matter what you do, right. someone is going to find a problem with it. Um, so another one of the things that I like to say is, you know, perfect is the enemy of good. I, I think that if, if you can achieve good, um, you can always strive for the perfection, right? You can always strive for the, the thousand percent. But but if you get 98% of the way there, um, at the end of the day, with so much risk involved, depending on what it is you're doing, there is there is an element of just, you know, okay, this, you know, let's call it a success. What was our, you know, what were our KPIs on this? You know, it, it, did, you, did you hit, did you hit most of them? Did you hit all of them? And, and of course, 
when it comes to communication, I'm, I'm always very proactive in the sense of saying, you know, here's the whole landscape, here's some things that can go wrong, but let's prepare for the thing that, that we're not prepared for. And, and coming up with just a, a horror host of a million different things that can go wrong is, is actually kind of the fun part of my job <laughs> because, and, and, I, and, I, and as soon as I'm say, telling you this, I, I'm starting to think of like every E3 I've ever gone to mm-hmm. because you spend weeks and months, it's the most intense time of the year and spend weeks and months just preparing for the show. And, and for us, it's less E3 and almost more GDC that's the the harder show for us um, for a variety of reasons I won't get into, but, but E3 does have that element of just like pressure and competition and just buzz and noise and exhaustion. I hate it. And um, getting there and, and you've, you've spent weeks and months preparing for all these things that you're going to do. And looking at contingency plans and what could go right, what could go wrong, what do we do if this thing leaks? Um, and it's always Walmart Canada, always, <laughs> always. And um, and then you get there and, and you just you're so wound up. And if you can just make it to Thursday at five p.m. Yeah. without you know anything going wrong, it's just like ah. Oh. And then you need you know fourteen days to sort of come down from that. But but that's sort of the fun part of my job is sort of getting to that Thursday at five o'clock at, at E three. And, and you've, you've, you've have in the back of your mind, all of these things you've prepared for that just never happened. And it's, it's, you know, some people might be listening going, well, that's just a waste of time and energy. But if you have those things happen once or twice enough times, um, you know, that being overly prepared is absolutely uh, the best course of action. I would rather turn myself into knots going into the Sunday before E3 preparing for every single little dumb thing that could derail something and have it not happen, then not be prepared at all and come up shorthanded when, when shit hits the fan. It's always going to be putting out fires, right? Like you're, there's always going to be something <laughs> that that's going to need your attention. Uh, it, yeah. it, it does seem like usually it probably is like, are we hitting our KPIs? Like, are we getting to these, uh, you know, performance metrics and and what's right. going wrong there? And not necessarily like, um, you, you know, not so like accusations of racism or or crimes and stuff like that. Right. that <laughs> but, you, but that stuff has happened, no, that, right? That's and part of it. No, but that's part of it. That's yeah. super part of it. Yeah. yeah. No, I, it's absolutely. like, do you have to like scare developers about like you with your experiences yes. and say this is actually why all of this stuff is is really important? Weekly. <laughs> Like, I'm not kidding. Like we, so we have, I mean, so we represent enough games and enough teams from all around the world with, and then you, you have to understand the, the differences in how cultures view racism and what is racist Mm. to them may not be racist to you. Um, I couldn't begin to tell you the, the cultural attitudes in Japan when it comes to racism about China and vice versa. Or uh, how Russians generally view Muslims or black people. Like, I have no idea. But when it comes to the U.S., which is a, uh, a in, the, in the Western market, uh, the, the, biggest, the biggest market for, for games, unless you count the EU as a combined territory, um, uh, there are a lot of... And then you have very young... Uh, 
I don't want to say inexperienced, but, but young people who have not experienced the world and they're, you know, maybe not very worldly, maybe never left their, their hometown and they're making a great game. Right. Um, and they live in, you know, Schlocknachnia or some, you know, made up Eastern European country. They, they know what they know from their life experience, all 23 years of it. Right. They may not understand the, the nuance of, of, you know, I don't know, some derogatory word that is slang for them, but it's like super offensive to Australians um, or coming to the United States and like just not meaning to, but but either inadvertently or accidentally saying something that is just taken very wrong here. Um, there's there's a lot of that. And that's that's the kind of stuff that keeps me up at night before shows because it has happened before. There's been yeah. a lot of lessons learned. Um and, and, you know, when it, when it comes to you, and, and I will say this, we're living from a PR perspective, we are living in, I say there's the, the field is, has so many minds in it. You can't even begin to navigate. Like, I, I don't even know where the map is. There's just, it's just yeah, of course. filled with minds. Right. But we're living in, and we're going through a transition in the industry right now that is going to be so ultimately so good for everybody because there is a culture war being, being waged, um, for equality and, uh, share a voice. And I think that that is so important. And not everybody's going to get it right every single time. It, but I will, I will tell you, I was not born woke. You know, I, I'm, I, I have learned so much in my adult life from my peers and colleagues and many of them in, on the games journalist side, on the games journalism side. Um, the younger generation has, I think, the right outlook on, on these things. They have taught us, us olds, (laughs) they have taught the older generation so much more about what should and should not be acceptable in the, in the workplace, especially in video games. There's so much, there's so much shit that we did myself included um, in the, in the aughts. Uh, And don't get me wrong. It was really fun. And I'm not talking about like harassment or anything like that, but like, Just the the parties, the 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 way we conducted business back then, um, would be viewed like would be just horrifying uh, to so many of of the younger people in in games today. And and I love that they've taught us so much. And like I said, I've learned so much. And and sometimes those lessons in both communication and sort of presenting game content, um, it's it's all effectively been for the better it's all been very positive so if i can take those lessons and make sure that no one ever makes those mistakes again and 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 not just say hey don't do that but also explain the broader context and the reasons why not just like oh well you'll get bad press on polygon if you do this but really inform them and really educate them then that's an invaluable part of my job because it doesn't just help them not have a pr misstep Ultimately, it makes everyone a better person for the length of their career in games. Yeah, and it's it's um it's a it's a pressure that we are um that you're right that a lot of young people are putting on us, and it's not even necessarily like they're um they're giving like instructions on the way that you have to be if you want to exist in their world. It's not like no, that. but I wish they would. 
I yeah, wish they I, would oh God, be it would help. It would... <laughs> God, please send me a memo or something. Uh, but it's like, no, they're, they're just putting pressure to, to, to sort of uh, to, to enact change and really just to force people to think critically about things that we've just accepted for a long time. And, I, you know, for, totally. And, and this is something like as a journalist, like I've I've felt this pressure. I felt like, yeah, why? Why wasn't I considering uh, like racial portrayals in games before this. And, and, you know, I did exactly what you were talking about where um, Techland at E3 was showing off dying, dying light Two, And in their first game, dying light had like a really multi multiracial cast. There was a lot of different characters cause they were having like the Olympics in, or whatever in their game. And then everything went wrong. Uh, but then the next game when they were showing it, it was, it was like a, about a white guy in Europe. And it was, it was very, very, very white uh, compared to the first, first game. And, and they said it was like, going to be about the European experience. And I, I took that to mean like they were saying it meant that it was going to be about the white European experience. And I asked them about, about that and wrote about that. And I could tell that it was like, they were like not expecting it at all. And I, and a part of me feels like it feels bad about doing something like that. Cause it's like, I know that wasn't their intent. I, I know that they, they made a game already that was multiracial and diverse. Uh, so I know that they're capable of it. And, and now this is the story they want to tell, but, but I still want to be, um, I don't want to just accept that. I want to ask them about that. But, and in the end, they, you know, they came back to me and they were like very much like, Hey, this is our thinking process. And it's not exactly how you portrayed it or how we portrayed it during the, the demo. So, but you know, we got, we got further into the conversation. We were able to explore more of what the game was about because I was asking that. And the reason, again, the reasons I'm asking that is because I, I feel the pressure to discuss this stuff now. So it is, is something, yeah, of course, that you're going to have to keep in mind. Oh, hundred percent. It's a huge part of, of my job right now. And, and when, and, and, and when you just go back to, to the Techland thing, when you, when you're making games on a global level, yeah. if you're not thinking about those things, and they're not included uh, in your in your game or your messaging. You better have a really good reason why, because you can't just say it's a European experience. And I don't know the particulars of this, mm-hmm. um, but there there have been games that have come out recently that have been like, oh, well, this is about this country's experience in this time period, and that's why there's no you know right. that's why there's no Muslims in it or no black people. And I'm like, oh, did those people not exist in you know 1500 or like? 1000, yeah. you know, when they, whatever. they absolutely did 100% did. Did. lots so, of historical examples of that. Yep. Oh, exactly. Exactly. So when you have a game that you're, you're talking about to the world, it, like if you were just launching that game in Poland, I don't know the demographics of Poland. I, I'm going to assume that it's 94% white probably. Yeah. I looked I it up know. because of that story. Actually, it was 97% white. Yeah. I, so even, yeah. Right. So like if you're only selling that game in Poland, you know, good for you. Like that's, you've made the Polish experience. Um, but you're, you're, you're talking about this game to the world. You're talking about this game in the United States. You're talking about this game in, uh, you know, France, Germany, um, Italy, where you have an, an enormous uh, amount of diversity and white people aren't the only people that play games. So if you, you Part of it might be, and I, again, I don't know anything about the story, but like part of it might be, it might just come down to messaging. Like you can't say something that's the, is the European experience without really defining that. And, and, but, you know, to use this as like a more of a hypothetical, cause I have no idea what the details are for this, but, sure. but again, you going back to thinking outside yourself and understanding that your game will be sold on a global level. Um, if you can start there, it's going to 
really help your thinking. You could just like look at like the the success, even if you just want to like put it at like a bottom line level, like just look at the success of stuff like the Fast and the Furious franchise and movies because it's so diverse. It and it and it absolutely dominates ac- across the world. It, you know, it does really well in the United States, but it's also always like the number one movie in China, uh, and and it's because that diverse cast really goes a long way to, towards pushing that stuff. So that global view is, yeah. is, is crucial. Yeah. Are they making a video game? Aren't they? Isn't like, didn't like, didn't like Vin Diesel come out and like show a video game or something? Yeah. At the game awards, I think it was like the big capper and it uh, didn't look great, but they, they have delayed it, I think. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. Uh, we've not played it yet. So uh, I'm sure we'll hear more about that one soon. Um, let's, uh, I want to ask you a few more things before, before sure. we wrap up. Uh, you, you were talking earlier about, um, you know, like setting up showcases and doing stuff for E3 and, and, and GDC. I guess like first, like what's it like actually preparing a show like, like, you know, the, the, the Devolver digital showcase or anything like that. Uh, and then also why is GDC harder? I actually do want to know that really bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, well, so let me start with the, the showcases. Um, we are living in the worst timeline. So this year E3 was 19,000 hours long, um, many, many weeks across many, many shows. And I will say, um, I, I have, I never anticipated, and this is one of life's most wonderfully awful surprises for me. I never anticipated a time where I would lament the loss of E3. Uh, yeah. and that happened to me this year, uh, right around the end of May, when we were preparing for every single one of our games across almost every single one of our clients to be showcased at one of the 11 or so showcases that were happening. Some were spanning multiple weeks, like the GameSpot thing I think is, is just wrapping up tomorrow, uh, their play for all. <laughs> and then, yeah. And the, the IGN thing was like all of June. Um, you had, uh, just a variety of, of different shows and showcases. And normally for E3, we have, you know, I, I don't recommend smaller publishers go to E3 unless you're getting first party support and you're in the Sony booth, and Microsoft right. booth, or, or your devolver and you're offering beer and barbecue, which, which was my idea, by the way, I will say that great. Idea. Many, 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 many moons ago when we were showcasing uh, the very first shadow warrior from, from fly from not the very first, the, the reboot, excuse me, the reboot in 2012, we uh, and then we were secretly showing Hotline Miami too. We had two trailers in a parking lot um, at the the show um, because the fig was not available for us. We showed uh, Serious Sam three the year before in the bar area before they redid it in that upstairs bar. We just sort of took over that bar and 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 I got you know dozen or so press to to make that half a mile trek to see Serious Sam three, um, which was astounding to me that anyone was going to leave the, the show floor to, to walk down to the fig in the middle of the day and get a demo and then walk all the way back. So the next year they put the, uh, the, the trailers up and I said, guys, uh, we have to offer something above and beyond if, if we're going to get people to leave the convention floor and, and press to leave the convention floor in their busy schedule and come across the street. Um, especially because we weren't telling people in advance that it was Hotline Miami 2. We dropped that sort of the day before the show. We had filled up the schedule for Shadow Warrior, but but weren't telling people on purpose about Hotline Miami 2. I, I can't remember the strategy behind it, but I'm sure there's a really good reason. <laughs> and uh, I said, you know what, what if, uh, what if, what if we had, um, like, what if we offered lunch? What if we had lunch for everybody? And, and we said, hey, come, come outside, 
get some lunch, sit down, have some, you know, watch some games in these trailers and then, you know, for an hour and then, and then go back to the show. show floor. That turned into uh, Mike Wilson, the master of con- connections and contacts, um, getting um, uh, someone to come do like a big live barbecue. And then we had, we bought a bunch of coolers and every morning before E3, I was going and buying out the beer section of the Vons, the closest Vons or grocery store down the street and, and filling my, my SUV with ice and beer and dropping it off at six o'clock in the morning. That's a great example of like what, what like these things can be like. It's not all like, it's not all super produced. It is just figuring things out. Right. And then just making it happen. It really was. And, and now, I mean, they've, they have just grown in all the good ways. And now if, I mean, I I don't know if you were out there the last E3, but it's just this pavilion of Mm -hmm. fun and games and everything that people on the outside think the games industry is. Uh, When I say it's, Oh, it's all fun and games. Like that's actually what the devolver lot is at E3. It's, it's, it's really cool. It's really well done. There's a separate area for press. So it's nice, quiet, big air conditioned trailers. Someone will bring you food. Someone will bring you a soda or a water or a beer or depending on, you know, what time of day is a shot of tequila, which I may or may not be involved in. Um, so it just, so it's, it, it really is a, a great idea and a really great example of just like to what you said, uh, how it can be. Um, there is a lot of serious business that goes on, on, on the lot, especially on the PR side. It's, it's almost all business, but at the same time, it's surrounded by such a lighthearted atmosphere. There's live streaming. There's like, uh, there's like games of cornhole going on. Like, I, I think that there was like rollerblade uh, races one year. I don't know. It's it's all nuts. But um, usually for E3, uh, aside from Devolver, we have like two, maybe three uh, folks that will go to the show. And they and of their two games that you know sort of are in the right place in their marketing cycle or communication cycle, will will push those to all of the live shows. And and of the live shows, there's you know three maybe. There used to be a lot more, but now there's like maybe three. And that's a lot of work when you've got four to six games across these live shows that in itself is a time consuming, um, never ending labyrinth of, of emails uh, with the show producers at Twitch and IGN and, and GameSpot. And it's, and it's there, those teams are always so great, but it is a lot of stress and anxiety and making sure that the assets are uploaded on deadline and hurt, like you said, hurting cats, like getting these guys to the stage shows at their right times and, that's a lot in any normal year. This year, because everything was digital, we had uh, every client that we work with and every single one of their games, regardless of where it was in its campaign cycle, eligible to be on one of those showcases. <laughs> so the exponential uh, just 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 planning for that i mean it's just it just it was just it's so my like i feel like i have like the dumbest form of like pr ptsd from it yeah. and now we're getting ready now we're getting ready to do it again for gamescom because uh a couple of couple of websites have have reached out about the doing a live showcase and i don't want to say which ones they are because i don't know if they've publicly announced them right yet, but, yeah but that, like uh, you were like saying like some of the stuff's wrapping up but like jeff Keighley's summer of games was always meant to go this entire time all the way through gamescom so it's like we're still oh, in it. So I was going to yeah. ask about that. So yeah, like it's not ending. Yeah, it's 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 never ending. Um but but and in the same in the same way it's it's almost we're we're I I I don't want to complain about it really too too much. I don't want to anger the gods, right? Because sure. again, like like we were saying before we hit record, like 
if we can provide even more value add as your P, as a you know as your PR team in this time of work from home, uh, juggling parental care and and your office time, uh, you know all we're we're very very lucky to be able to continue to be and still be effective at, at our jobs mm-hmm. in like the shittiest timeline ever. Um, that I don't want to complain too loudly. I don't want to sound ungrateful for the, oh, we have to work a little bit more. Right. Um, that's, it's part of the job. And, and it's just, it's just one of, like I said, it's one of life's surprises where I didn't think I was ever going to lament, uh, the loss of the traditional E3 until the alternative, uh, reared its 16 different heads of, you know, flaming fire at me and looked me square in the eyes and was like, you will never sleep again. Um, just tell me real quick, like, what, why is GDC harder? Is it just because, like, all again, like, yeah, that was the situation oh where all of the developers are involved in that? So, yes, it's it's a question of volume for us. Um, again, this doesn't apply to, I, I think, probably every PR agency out there, right? Um, but for us, again, we take a top to bottom approach and a very hands on approach with with every single client that we have on board, and. Um, a, a really good example of that is um, we started working with the Motion Twin folks. Um, they they are the developers of the critically acclaimed and commercial smash hit Dead Cells, um, Game of the Year nominee Dead Cells. Absolutely, and yes, one of my favorites of all time. Yes, it's such a good game. I I actually am terrible at it, um, but I appreciate it. I really, I really hurt my hands playing that game because <laughs> I yeah. played it for like yeah. ninety hours on the Switch for review. And oh, it was, like, it was like in like just a couple of weeks, I'd, and yeah, I had a real bad cramp. I had to put it down, oh, and I picked it up man. a few times since. And I'm like, okay, I need to like, I'm an old man now. I got to be careful with this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Have you played the mobile version? It's very good. No, I haven't. I've been very interested to check it out. I'll have to. I'll have to give it a shot. That that sounds yeah. interesting. I, I know a guy. I'll send you a code. <laughs> Fair enough. Sounds good. Um, so, so, so Motion Twin's a really good example of this because we came on with them after they had launched, after they had sold a million copies, after they had been nominated for Game of the Year. Um, we started with them a few months after the the launch of the game, which was in the I think early Q four of uh, 2018? 17, 18, something. Oh, are you still there? Yes, I am. Oh, sorry. My uh my computer screen's just sorry. My computer screens just went completely black and I thought maybe I lost power. No, um, no worries, we're good. All right, sorry. So I came on with them uh, a few months after the game had launched, and or we came on with them a few ga- few months after the game had launched. And that's an unusual time for a PR agency to start working with a client on a game. Um, because it had already sold a million copies and it had already done all these wonderful things, but they, they had a very, uh, and they're, they are a very interesting company to begin with. They are a, a co-op of uh, about nine or 10 people where everyone has an equal share, uh, in the company in, uh, in Bordeaux, France. So it is very interesting, um, structure for businesses. There's no hierarchy. There's no boss. Um, no one is the boss of anyone else there. And that in itself was an interesting story, but they they had a very clear idea of sort of how they wanted their post launch to go. And that was, um, they wanted to keep the game's name in, in the news as they continued to iterate on this formula. And it's, it's a roguelite. So the, um, 
the the gameplay can be ever evolving. And this is not a games as, as a service in the traditional sense where you think of like Fortnite as a games as a service, but rather this is a, a you know, a one-time purchase um, that in and, and a normal course of a game life cycle, you, you know, you, you, you buy your box copy thing, you get one or two updates and then, you know, uh, the thanks and here's our, you know, then we're going to announce our sequel, right. To our franchise. Um, Dead Cells is a game that just recently had its 19th update. Um, they have continued to iterate on the gameplay. They have a very close relationship with its fan, with their fans. Um, they uh, had some really interesting internal things going on um, where they, they knew they had a good solid six months or eight months of, of stories to tell and, and news to be had. And, and they wanted to bring us on in, in a capacity that could help them achieve a very long tail of, um, of uh, sales on the game. So the, the switch version coming out, the iOS versions coming out, the evil empire t- uh, breaking off from motion twin, forming its own company, taking over development. There was just all kinds of things going on for just this one game. And so GDC is sort of, the platform for someone like uh, the the folks from Motion Twin to come engage with potential business partners, engage with the press that are at the show, and and GDC the the world's press just descends upon San Francisco every year. Um, so that's all. That's just ripe with opportunity to tell really great stories about business. Tell really great stories about the formation of a studio. Um, all of the you know the VCs, the business people, the first party deal makers. They're all in town. They're all tuned in. They're all shaking hands. There. It's it's just the best opportunity for networking. Poking your head above uh, ground and getting some some positive press can can go a really long way that week if you, if you do it well and you do it right. So for us, it's the pressure's on a little bit more because you have you may not be pimping games at the show, and I I don't recommend pimping games at GDC. It's it's a more of a business facing show. There are a lot of game demos that happen at GDC. We've we've had success throughout the years doing so, but I always like to tie it to um, something that is more relevant to the conference and the purpose of the conference. So for us, we have more people on the ground. We have more stories to tell, and it's our one time of year to really get that really important face time um, with either uh, a prestigious business writer coming in from you know Germany or, or somebody. Right. Um, so there's there's just a, a different element of pressure, and and it's. Um, it, it's it's and it's 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 intense in a more compact way for us as a PR team um, than than just the the sheer volume that you're going for at E3 where you have a room with 640 seats and you're going to book nine of those a day for press to check out whatever new game there is. Um, so whereas E3 is pressure for volume and pressure for share of voice, uh, GDC is um, it's it's just more in a it's just, it's just more compact in its um, in its in its pressure points. I think. Yeah, it sounds like just a much more dense show, and and it's just because the the games aren't there to necessarily distract people in the same way that they already right. agree. Where yeah, that makes right. a lot of sense. I, I, right. I've got two more things I want to uh, touch on, yeah. and then I'm going to let you go. Uh, just 
real quick, like how does the like the money side of this work when you have a, a developer that reaches out to you or or you know you pitch a developer? Uh, is there is it like an upfront payment or do they have to? Is it like a, a revenue share? How does all that work? Um, that's a great question, considering that this is the How Games Make Money podcast. Yeah, uh, right. Thank you. We'll, we'll get to it eventually. Totally, yeah, I totally forgot. Um, so there's a lot of different ways that you can structure a deal with with a PR uh, contractor or a PR agency, whether it's big or small. Um, I I would love to see more revenue share opportunities coming my way. <laughs> Being in the service business, uh, it's been a long time since I had dreams of like, you know, ever retiring. Um, we don't make anything. We don't sell anything. We don't produce anything. So we're a service-based industry. And um, there's just not a lot of opportunities to really sell out. Selling out is my loftiest goal Ooh, of course. Uh, as, a, as a business owner. You have to um, have dreams. I know. So if you're out there, Mr. Edelman, <laughs> I, uh, call me. Um <laughs> So, uh, so there's a few ways you can go about it. Um, I, there's your, there's your, uh, hourly rate, which right off the bat, I, I don't do it. Um, I, I don't, I'm too, I'm just too, uh, we've just reached a point where we're, we're, we're too focused on, on the long term success of our, our clients to, to be, I so focused on just sort of like an hourly rate per project sort of business structure. So um, we do work via retainer. Um, that is probably the most common um, way to work with a PR agency because uh, you, and, and there are a variety of terms that you can, you can reach. Uh, but for us, the minimum engagement would be 90 days. Um, and that, that would that in a if we are doing a minimum engagement of ninety days on retainer, it has to be a very well designed rollout campaign because in games so many things shift yeah. and it's so fluid. When you're working to develop software, um, and and Boeing has been learning this the hard way over the last year. Yes. When you're working to develop, develop software, anything can come up and just derail the entire thing. Um, so my preference, if we're taking on, say, like a, a label, um, is, is to, to work on retainer um, at least for like a, a six, nine or 12 month uh, contract. And that can come with a variety of hours that you know you, you can reach in that contract. We don't do that. Um, I don't care if it takes me. I'm, I'm pretty good at estimating how long something's going to take us these days. I've been doing, like I said, 411 years. But uh, you can uh, set like a, an hour. You know, hey, you you know, don't abuse us if if you reach you know 29 hours in a in a week of our time, like you know whatever. And then there's there's any amount of stipulations that can go into a contract. Um, other folks. Uh, have offered revenue shares. The offers that I've had of revenue shares in the past um, ultimately are not the, it's like not the ones I want to engage in. Right. So there's been a lot of like offers like, oh, I'll give you blah, 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 X percent of, you know, gross profits. And I'm like, yeah, but your game is terrible. And this is a bad <laughs> idea. And also yeah. you have like a history of saying like really shitty racist things. Mm -hmm. And maybe I don't want to work with you. Um, so, uh, so it just, it really just depends. Um, there, there are uh, really great. Um, there are really the the, the I was going to say the the really great thing about it is that um, this is the kind of thing that can be super flexible. And if you are a startup, um, if you are a um, well established, uh, you know, 
AAA publisher, those deals are probably going to look a lot different. Um, we've, we've worked with, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to name names, but we worked with a very, very popular, um, uh, label in games. And I think for the first like nine months I was with them, I don't think I build them at all. Uh, we were just working on one game for them. And a lot of them were working um, on the label as a second job mm-hmm. and trying, just trying to make the thing fly. And I was like, yeah, you'll owe me this money eventually. But, you know, it, it really wasn't a terribly large amount of money considering um, what what the rest of sort of a AAA game rate would go for. But um, but it was, you know, I had a lot of faith in, in the team. I had a lot of faith in in the the product. And, and so I just sort of, and this wasn't even an agreement. I just sort of like, just didn't really follow up on a lot of the invoices. And then, is it just like building relationships and then eventually like those relationships, relationships are going to pay off uh, in the long term? Is that the idea? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I put a lot of faith in them early on and, and, and as a result, we've had a very long standing, wonderful, beautiful, romantic relationship together. Um, but, um, I wouldn't recommend that to any other PR person out there. Um, I don't recommend doing anything for free ever. Um, this is the business of games. It is not the charity of games, unless you are running a charity, in which case you're awesome. And, uh, <laughs> and you, ma- you <laughs> um, make me feel bad about myself. <laughs> and you make me feel all you nonprofits out there make yeah. me feel bad, but no, it's, and, and like you said about relationships, I mean, I just don't think that there's anything quite as valuable in this industry as the relationships that, that, that I have made over the years. I mean, some of my closest friends are people that, that I met while, while at work. And some of my longest friends are people that I've met while at work. And, um, and it's, 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 it's a really, really great industry to be in. It's, I mean, PR, like I said, it's not all fun and games. It is so high pressure. Um, at the end of the day, a lot of times you kind of got to step back and say, okay, it's a, it's a video game. I know. And that, and that does represent people's livelihoods, but like, Right. No one's dead. You know, if I have a bad day at work, like no one's dead. You know what yes. I mean? Like, oh no, exactly. You this know, is, I've you know, as someone who's um, you know, I I've done more like um, I, I you know, scoops. I guess I'll call them. I'll just say scoops. Scoops recently. I've done uh, you know, I've been leaking stuff. I guess is how people would actually Ooh. phrase it. And Ooh. uh, and it, yeah, you, you got to come like it's a conversation I've had to have my, with myself where it's like how um important is it to get this information out when at the end of the end of the day we are really we, we're just talking about video games and like the, the way i get information you know there's the potential for for sources to get in trouble and stuff like that so it's like totally. none none of that it, like none of this is worth ruining anyone's livelihood or, or even upsetting a media plan and, and that's a, you know something that's changed recently in my thinking where it's just like People are going to find out about this stuff eventually. If if they're not, if yeah. something goes wrong, maybe I'll talk about it then. Um, but it's it's just you know it's just commercials for video games a lot of times, and I'm I'm not I don't need to like uh, stress out about like you know speaking truth to power when I'm just actually you know like giving a commercial out early or something like that. So it's right. It, no, it's, totally. It's, it really frames my thinking too. So I, I get what you mean. Absolutely. Yeah. But um, there, there are times like, especially for, for, for you guys at venture beat and games beat, there are times cause you cover a little bit of the business side of things. And if someone's behaving badly, right. That's complete. Yes. That's, that's a little human. That's a human right. story. And like, that's like, that's, totally. And that's completely different. Yeah. It's like, yeah. and that's where, and that's where like, uh, yeah, that's, you, you draw the line to say like when it's a human acting on another human in any way, uh, that's something where it is that there, there, there are stakes there. That is, uh, that is, up totally. there. if it's just people wanting to know about something early, um, I'm going to be okay. Just kind of keeping that to myself in, in, in many, in many circumstances. We 
when I when I got started in this industry, uh, I quickly got a picture in my head of what a PR person looked like, and it was it was usually a woman. And I I wonder if there if that is that true across many industries. Is it something that, that I'm imagining? Uh, is there um, just do people just have this idea in their head of like a maternal figure who is going to set the <laughs> ship right in their head, and that's why they want a woman in this position, or, or what is it? I don't know. I don't know, but you're, you're totally right. It is. Um, it's not all women. I mean, I think it's like 60, 40 or something. I haven't, I mean, so there's this, um, oh my God, this is like the, so cringy, but there's this like thing called the PRSA. It's the PR society of America. (laughs) I'm, (laughs) it it exists. I'm not in it. The only reason, cause I don't, I mean like why, why? Like, anyway, the only reason, um, it's like a bunch of, I don't know. It's like a bunch of accountants getting together. I don't know. Well, accountants, I mean, I can understand sharing information among accounts. I'm not going to share information with like my colleagues. Absolutely not. I've worked really hard to like figure out what really works and works well in my business. I'm not going to share that. I'm not going to give that away for free. And anyone's <laughs> giving away for free, knock it off. Um, so um, there's this like society or whatever. And the only reason I know it exists is because uh, in college, I, I was a communications major and, and I had an emphasis in public relations because it had no math involved in the course curriculum. That is the God honest truth. And, um, and uh, I was in the PRSSA, which is the Student Society of America. And I think I was like joining it for like extra credit or something um, or for like, so I could like graduate with honors or like whatever. Um, but like, but I think it's like, they would have the figures on that um, based on their sort of data and tracking of like the PR industry of America or like whatever they do. I don't know. Um, but, uh, I think it's, I think it's, 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 it's still pretty split, but it's, it is a a majority, uh, majority of the people are women and I can't, and the maternal thing, I've never really thought about that, but like you super, you super just like inadvertently exposed something about me that, I haven't ever sort of like weaponized in my personal brand marketing. And that is like, I will, I am, I am very um, maternal to all of my clients. And I don't mean that in like a a motherly sense necessarily. Like I'm not going to like nag you and tell you to clean your room. Um, But is it like a mama bear thing? You're going to protect your cubs? Is that what it is? Totally. But but there's that too. But then like, also like, I want to make sure that like, like I work, like I said, it goes back to being able to work with really great teams and really great people and be selective about who we work with. Yeah. So like I, I legitimately like care about these people and I want them to succeed. And I will, I, I just feel like it's a personality trait that I'll put myself out there a little bit more to make sure that like everything's taken care of. And that's like, even when we're like on a press tour, um, that's when like the interpersonal side of the uh, side of me comes out where I'm just like, Oh, let me make sure you have a water. And like, mm. when like we do E3, like, especially like the devolver devs and like our super indie devs that are like punk rock skaters coming right. from, you know, Sweden to like show their game. Well, you guys and I'm, like, take care of yourself. Get some stuff. Totally. Totally. <laughs> I'm like, you guys have to go to bed now. And like, you guys have to like, here's some water. Like, please drink a lot of water. Here's some hand sanitizer. Wash your hands every five minutes. Don't touch anybody. Like, you know, and especially with the, 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 the women developers that come out, like, I'm always like, okay, here's some tips on, um, you know, how to go to this party and, you know, be safe. Um, there are documents we send out before, and this is like the shitty dark part of, um, this story is there's a document that we send out ahead of every, um, physical event that we go to, um, in the event that there is, because we are Americans, 
um, you know, in the event that there is a shooting at a trade show, what is our plan of, uh, what is our plan? Where do I go? What do I do? What do I do if I'm in South Hall and a, and a guy comes in with an AR-15? Um, we go so far as to um, design overlays of the show floor as it is for E3 over the actual blueprint of the convention center so that it shows exactly where every exit is and where those exits go. And we draw a map just so you have it in your head. Even if you look at it for 30 seconds, just so you have it in your head, this is your exit route. These are according to, uh, uh, I forget what government website it was. Um, according to blah, blah, blah.gov, this is what you do if you are faced with an active shooter. Um, one of, one of, uh, my, one of the clients read this and, and, and in that I was like, okay, we have PlayStation games, PlayStation controller, throw it at his head, you know, or her head or the right. shooter's head. Like that's part of, you know, there's a very specific thing I'm pulling out of that, but, but one of my clients was like, I'm not fighting off a guy with an AR-15 with a PlayStation controller. But then the New Zealand shooting happened. And that guy uh, started throwing books at the shooter. And the shooter ran away from him because the guy was, was attacking him and throwing books. I'm telling you, there is a truth to um, aggression. And that is now part of our sort of like how to defend yourself. And that is all part of it. Like, I do think that that is sort of like a maternal thing because in my the course of my entire career, I've never had another team I've worked with, um, a, a company I've worked with, even think about something like that, like like that it's even a possibility. And 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 it wasn't until we brought it up and started sending this document out ahead of all of our shows that um, people were like, "Oh yeah, we we really got to think about that." Hey, th- hey, good looking out, Tinsley. Yeah. Thanks a lot. So so yeah, it is it is a little bit of a of a sort of like, I, I, these are people that I'm not only like trying to take care of them, like with their games and their brand, but like maybe, maybe there's an element of like maternal, maternal ness there. I don't know. I'm going to be thinking about that for the rest of the day now, Jeff. (laughs) Thanks. Hey, you're welcome. Yeah. Deal with that. Stephanie, thank you so much for so much for joining me. I, I really appreciate it. This was, this was a really great conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Anytime. Anytime. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I'm, and, uh, I'm, there's one, much one I left off. Thing. I want there's more I want to talk about for sure. Yeah, go ahead. One more thing. Uh I just want to take this opportunity to challenge Betsy DeVos to a yeah. fist fight. Um please, I want I, I use, can't do that. I yes, please. I want to use this platform to just say, Betsy DeVos, if you are listening to this or if somebody <laughs> shows this to you, I challenge you to a fist fight. On any terms you want, you can even have a weapon. Yeah. Uh, and if I win, if I win, I get control of the education budget uh-huh. and I get control over whether or not we open schools during COVID-19 because I got to tell you, lady, you're doing it wrong. She makes me all so right, mad. That's, that's all I want to say. That's all I want to say. Thank you so much for, for doing that on behalf of all of us. I appreciate that. Uh, Absolutely. Thank you to everybody for listening. Uh, again, I had a lot of fun here. Uh, we'll be back with another fun episode next week. Until then, though, have a good one. Take care of yourself and goodbye. Goodbye.